All right, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity to gather together to worship you in such a wonderful, anointed time of worship. And we thank you for the Word of God. As I come to teach today, I make it known that I'm not trusting or depending on limited human abilities to teach the Word of God, but I am depending on you, Spirit of God. And therefore, I know without doubt that you anoint my mind, that I might grasp the revelation that will rise in abundance from my heart within. Thank you for supernatural recall of the Scripture. And I believe that your word will flow from my mouth smoothly, accurately, clearly, without hindrance from anything, carried by your anointing, your power, and your love to each person's mind and the sound of my voice, that understanding will come and confusion will go, that your word will enter every heart, bringing faith, dispelling every fear, and we'll give you alone all the praise, the honor and the glory for all that shall be revealed and accomplished through your word and by your spirit here today. In Jesus' name, and all those love the Lord said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Kindly open your Bible to John chapter 14 and verse 16. And I'll just keep saying it. I'd like to encourage you to bring a hard copy Bible to church, one you can write in. If you'll write in your Bible, you will grow much faster spiritually and you'll retain more. You'll retain more. It's amazing though, when I'm teaching, I see the page of my Bible and my notes. They've written, I see it. And that's what happens. It comes up in my spirit. It helps you to remember the Scriptures. Just want to pass that on. Have you found John 14? If you haven't, you can give up and watch the person next to you. Verse 16. Jesus is speaking to His disciples. And He says, I will pray the Father. In other words, I will ask the Father. And He will give you another helper that He may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth. So what's Jesus talking about? Who is this another helper? Who is the Spirit of truth? It's the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, I'm going to ask the Father to send you a replacement. In fact, He's telling his disciples, that he's going to leave and go back to the Father. And he's not going to leave them or abandon them without help. He's going to send someone else to take care of them and even do a better job of it than he was able to do. Now, let's think about that. Jesus fed all his disciples all the time. He, he paid for their clothes. He gave them clothes accommodation, transport. Everywhere they went, He took care of them and everybody else. He fed the 5,000, the 3,000. He stopped the storm. I mean, everything they needed, Jesus took care of it for them. Now He's telling them, I'm leaving, and I'm sending someone else to take over. And then you'll see a little later on in our message, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, will do a better job of it than I can. <laughs> Why? 
because Jesus was in a human body, and that human body could only be in one place at one time. And the Holy Spirit can be everywhere present with each of us 24-7. Amen? And He's supposed to be to us all that Jesus was to the disciples. Unfortunately, Christians today don't know the ministry of the Holy Spirit. They don't understand His abilities and availabilities. They don't understand the grace of God to help them through everything in life. Everything in life. The Holy Spirit wants to help you with the big things and small things, spiritually, mentally, and physically. When I lose something in the house, I say, Holy Spirit, thank you for guiding me to it. With a minute or two, I find it. And you know, it's amazing. I could look for something for, for a whole day and not even ask Him. We are so crazy, you know that? He's right there. And then when I say, thank you for helping me, then I find it. That's not an accident. Not an accident. I'm just saying, the Holy Spirit is there to help us in the big things and the small things all the time. He's called the helper. That's one of his ministries. All right. All right. So now, notice this also. I will ask the Father. So Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. So there's three people mentioned there, or three personalities, divine personalities. The Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but I've heard that Jesus' only teaching which says that Jesus is the only God and He reveals Himself as the Father and He reveals Himself as the Holy Spirit, but there's really one person and His name is Jesus. Amen. He plays the role of the Father sometimes, plays the role of the Holy Spirit sometimes, but there's only one person, that's Jesus. Well, that doctrine can't be right because here yeah, Jesus is speaking. He says, I'm going to talk to the Father and He's going to send someone else to you. Three people. Now, you'll find that throughout the Bible. And these people, the Jesus-only people, call the Holy Spirit it. It, not He. Jesus calls Him He, not it. You see that? He. All right. Also, um, in the book of Genesis, don't go there, right in the beginning, God said, let us make man in our image. You read that before, I'm sure. Now, that word God there is the Hebrew word Elohim. And you know that that Hebrew word is plural. It's not singular. It actually should read gods in English because it's plural. And gods said, let us, plural, make man in our plural image. So you can see the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit right back in the Garden of Eden. Amen? All the way through the Bible, there's three people in the Godhead, just like you and your wife are one flesh, but two people. Just like uh, the church of Jesus Christ is one body, but many individuals, but one body. Just like you and Jesus are one, right? But there's two people. So God says we are one God, meaning one in unity, one in purpose, one in agreement, one in everything. Amen? They are united. They united. All right. So let's move on. First, chapter 16 and verse 7 of the book of John. Gospel of John, 
chapter 16 and verse 7 from the New King James translation. Just go there, please. Thank you. Again, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. He's talking about going to heaven, dying on the cross, rising from the dead. It's to your advantage that I go away, for because if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. All right? Now, why did Jesus say, if I don't go, he can't come? Jesus is saying, I must die on the cross to forgive you for your sins. Only then can the Holy Spirit come and enter your heart when you are cleansed. The fact that the Holy Spirit is inside of you is evidence that you have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit could not enter into the saints. Okay? In the Old Covenant... They were saved by faith. But you and I have been born again by the Holy Spirit entering our heart. Jesus said in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, a Pharisee, you must be born again by the Holy Spirit entering your spirit, the life of God coming in. That could not happen until Jesus died and rose and cleansed us from our sin. That's why in the Old Testament, they couldn't understand the deep things of God. And even the Gospels of Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus could not teach them the deep things of God. He could only teach them by parables, by birds and trees and sheep. That's how he could communicate with them because they weren't capable of understanding the deeper truths because the Holy Spirit wasn't living inside of them. If you think you're going to get a lot of information out of the Gospels, you're not. The disciples didn't even know why Jesus came. They said, are you gonna, you're going to give us the kingdom now? Are you going to set up your kingdom now? No, Jesus didn't come to do that. He came to redeem the human race. They didn't understand that. Peter said, don't die, don't die. He'd been with them how many months, how many years? And he said, don't die. Well, he had to die to pay for our sins. But he didn't understand that, right? Their understanding was limited. Only when the Holy Spirit came. Now, at the back of your Bible, you read the letters to the born-again believer, and we understand the deeper truths of God's Word by His grace. Amen? Amen. Everything we have is by the grace of God. The grace of God. Our job is to open the door to the grace of God. And then the grace of God will come pouring in. The mercy of God. Just open the door, that's your part, and the grace will come flooding in. God's mercy, God's provision, the Holy Spirit will come flooding in your part, just open the door. Say that. I receive the grace of God. Praise the Lord. Amen. Now, all right, so John 16. Now let's go to verse 12. Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. You won't cope with it. You can't understand it. There's many things I want to teach you, but you can't understand it. Why? I've just explained that. Verse 13, however, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. He will teach you the deeper things that I can't tell you now, once you're born again. 
For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will tell you the future. Not might, maybe he will. So we see here in this verse that the Holy Spirit is the helper. He is our teacher of the deeper things of God. He is our guide and reveals the future to us. So the more we fellowship with Him, the more we pray in our heavenly language, the more we meditate on His promises, the more clear the future will become to us. God wants us to know what's coming down the road. He does not want to leave us confused and ignorant about the future. Romans 8.26, we know the mind of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit makes an intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So, yes, God reveals to us His future plans and what's coming, what the devil tries to do or plans to do so that we can be one step ahead all the time. If you'll fellowship with the Holy Spirit, take advantage of this wonderful Pentecost provision, we will never be left in confusion. All right. Now let's go to Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. Here Jesus is on the Mount of Olives on the east side of the city of Jerusalem. This is now after His resurrection. After His resurrection. He's about to go up in the cloud. In one of those meetings, as Jesus was eating a meal with His disciples, He told them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you what He promised. Remember, I have told you about this before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Eight. But when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power and will tell people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. All right, say this. An additional ministry of the Holy Spirit is to equip me with power to be a witness for Jesus. Now, you see, when you are born again, when you accept Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit does enter your heart. Yes, born of the Spirit of God. I've had folks tell me, oh, I've got all the Holy Spirit I need. I'm born again. It's true you are born again, and He is in you. There is a second experience, though, for every believer, a separate gift, an additional gift. Now, um, when the Spirit of God comes on you, when you're baptized with the Spirit, with a second gift, you're given power. And that power uh, is revealed through the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are the Word of Wisdom, Word of knowledge, discerning of spirits, which is to see in the spirit realm. The gift of faith, which is beyond normal faith. 
faith, working of miracles, and gifts of healings. And then you are tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. So that's the nine gifts. And that allows the Holy Spirit to work through you supernaturally, those nine gifts. That's how He'll work. When you get born again by the Spirit of God and you become a Christian, you receive the nine fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals the nine fruit of the Spirit through your life, which is love, joy, peace, meekness, kindness, temperance, self-control. All of that is in the brand new Christian's life because of the fruit, the Holy Spirit living out through you. But when you get baptized, that's when you get the gifts of power to be a witness. Not only to talk about Jesus, to share your testimony, how you got saved, or tell folks what He's done for you, but also to demonstrate by praying for people and where signs, wonders, and miracles take place. Signs, wonders, miracles take place. It doesn't matter where you are. You can pray for folks anywhere and God will move and help them. All right. Now, so verse 9 says, It was not long after Jesus said this, that He was taken up into the sky while they were watching. And he disappeared into a cloud. And as they were straining their eyes to see him, two white-robed men, angels, obviously, suddenly stood there among them. They said, men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring at the sky? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. And someday, just as you saw him go, he will return. Praise the Lord. The apostles were at the Mount of Olives when this happened. So they walked half a mile back to Jerusalem. Then they went up to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here's the list of those who were present. Now before I talk about who was present, let me show you. If you can see, I have to get real close with this little light, there it is. Can you see that dot? Put your hand if you can see that dot. Oh, good. All right. So this is the old city of Jerusalem, right? When Jesus was alive. I'm not alive, but He is alive now. He was on the earth at the time in the human body. And here is the Mount of Olives on the east side of the city. And there's a valley all the way around the city. So they left the Mount of Olives. Jesus went up the mountain, or went up into the sky. They went down to the valley, and they came up here into the city of Jerusalem. And this area here is a raised hill called Mount Zion. You might have heard of it, Mount Zion. And there's the upper room right there on Mount Zion. That upper room is where Jesus ate the Last Supper with His disciples and um, the covenant meal. And also, where the disciples went to wait for the Holy Spirit who came down on the day of Pentecost. All right, so now, verse 13, then they went up, they went to the up, they went up, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. 
Here's the list of those who were present. Now this is very interesting. All those who were in that room. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. They all met together continually for prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus. Several other women and the brothers of Jesus. Interesting. All right, now if you'll carry on reading, there were 120 people in that upper room. We're not gonna carry on reading right now. And of that 120 people were the disciples, plus Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the brothers of Jesus. That verse 14 is very interesting. Because we're about to read, the next thing that happened in that upper room is all of them got filled with the Holy Spirit and all of them spoke in heavenly languages, which they never understood because they are heavenly languages. Nevertheless, these heavenly prayer languages were uh, given to them and they prayed out aloud, all of them, in these languages. Now, Mary, obviously, was one of those in that room, and she prayed in other tongues, in heavenly prayer languages. She prayed in that way. So I like to say to all good Catholics, if it's good enough for Mary, it's good enough for you. Amen. All right. Now, the brothers of Jesus never believed in Jesus. The whole time he was alive, they teased him. They teased him. If you read the Gospels, you see it. They never believed. But when he rose from the dead, he went and revealed himself to his brothers, and they came to the upper room and got filled with the Holy Spirit. And then James, the Lord's brother, half-brother, became an apostle and was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And he wrote the book of James, which is at the back of your New Testament, the brother of Jesus. All right. The other James, who was one of the 12 apostles, he died, he was martyred very early on in the Christian experience. And um, so you don't hear about him very much after that. Um, Okay. All right, go to Acts chapter 2. Now, Acts chapter 2. I'm reading from the New Loving, the New Loving Translation. Verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, seven weeks after Jesus' resurrection, the believers were meeting together in one place. They were what? Believers. Now, the new, living, the new King James and the King James says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Say that. When the day of Pentecost had arrived. Now, the day of Pentecost existed before Acts 2. Pentecost was a feast. 
one of the feasts of Israel, where thousands of people would come to Jerusalem once a year for the Feast of Pentecost, a very special holy day. Now, that word Pentecost is a Greek word. It's not an English word. And the English word is 50th, 50th. Because it's the 50th day after Passover. 50th day after Passover. Now, Passover was also a very special feast day. Because every family had to find a lamb, a perfect spotless lamb, and slaughter it and use its blood for the forgiveness of their sins. Now, Passover began many years back, way back in Egypt, just before they came out of Egypt. That was the first time they ate Passover. They ate Passover, and after they had to eat it with their traveling clothes on, a stick of traveling stick in their hand, the traveling clothes, traveling sandals. They ate the lamb, and immediately they came out of Egypt and left. Because once you have the lamb, because that's the top and shadow of Jesus, once you have the lamb in you, you can't remain in bondage and slavery. You come out, you're set free. Colossians 1.13. And so then they had prospered because the Israelites, the, um, the, Jew, the, the Egyptians, gave them all their jewelry, all their gold, all their silver. Everything they owned, they gave to the Israelites, the slaves, who are now set free. So the slaves left rich and the Egyptians stayed back poor. That actually happened in history all on the same day they ate the Passover. Why? Because 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says, He, and you know, sin has made a simple sin for us that we might be. No, 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 no. Help me with that. Um, it says that he, died, he, he, he took on poverty that we might be rich. It'll come to me. All right, so. Jesus Christ took our poverty so we could be blessed. I don't mean rich so you become greedy and selfish. No. You see, God will prosper you if you are a supporter of the gospel with your tithes and offerings. There's no limit to, to how much you can believe God for. There's no limit. No, I've got the verse, but tell me what it says. There you go. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was poor on the cross, for your sakes he became poor on the cross, that you might be rich or have a full supply. So God is saying, I'll bless you if you are supporting the kingdom. There's no limit to what I'll do for you. And if you keep supporting the kingdom, God will keep blessing you. That's how it works. Amen? All right. So if a person is supporting the gospel with their offering, they're not selfish. But God's not going to bless selfish people. Say that. God, God. is not going to bless selfish people. All right, so that wasn't part of my message this morning. I got in. Nevertheless, so when the day of Pentecost had fully come, 
This is now 50 days after Passover. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven, like a roaring mighty windstorm in the skies above them, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting or meeting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and sat on each of them. And, every, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Question. It says, everyone present began to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Who spoke in other languages? Was it the people or was it the Holy Spirit? Who was it? Look at the verse. It tells us. This is very important. Because I've had folks come to me for prayer to receive the Holy Spirit through the years. And they've waited for God to move their tongue, move their lips. And they're going to wait until next Sunday in that spot because it's not going to happen. It says, everyone present was full of the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues. As the Holy Spirit enabled them to. Now, you know, I'm speaking here this morning. And the Holy Spirit is anointing the message. In other words, He is enabling me to speak like I am. All right? When you share your testimony with a friend or a stranger of what the Lord's done for you, you might walk away saying, Well, I spoke so well. How did I do that? Well, it was the Holy Spirit that enabled you, that worked through you, but you did the talking. And you could stop and start when you want to. But the Holy Spirit enabled you to speak well, communicate clearly. But you did the talking. That's exactly the same way you speak in tongues, in your heavenly language. You do the talking. And the Holy Spirit comes alongside to assist you the same way. Same way. I'll talk more about that in a moment. But I needed to point that out. That's what they said here in verse 4. Now, this all happened in the upper room. These tongues of fire, like little candle um, fire, candles of fire, came and sat on each person. And they were overcome by the presence of God. And they began to speak out in heavenly prayer languages, which they never understood. But God, the Father, knows and understands clearly. Say this, when I speak in tongues, I am praying to God, directly to the Father. I'm not going through His secretary. So when you pray in these special prayer languages, the Holy Spirit is guiding that prayer, and then He goes out and answers the prayer He prayed. Now, one of the Bible says in Romans 8, 32, that all things work together for good. That's talking about praying in tongues. When you pray in tongues, the Holy Spirit takes bad situations and changes them and brings blessing. He makes lemonade out of lemons. And He fixes problems in our family, in our life, and brings the blessing of God to us and orders our footsteps. When we pray in tongues, there's unlimited blessing from the Father that comes to us. 
unlimited. And the devil is stopped in his tracks. Are you out there, church? That's why I encourage you to listen to my message from last week. So, now, they came down from the upper room, the 120. Remember now, the 120 came down and they're overcome by the presence of God. They're just speaking in tongues. They don't care who's listening or watching. And they walked down the streets and there were thousands of people in the streets of Jerusalem at that time, came from all over the world to this very special feast of Pentecost. And they stopped and looked at the 120 with amazement. What is going on here? What happened up in that room? You must know, they were doing something out of the ordinary for 5,000 people to stop and stare at them. You walk out in the street and do something and see 5,000 people will stop and watch you. Right? But if you'll get on fire, people will come watch you burn. So, <laughs> so anyhow, now they're wondering, what on earth is going on here? These people are all drunk. They've got to be. 14. Let's go to verse 14. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. Some of you are saying these people are drunk. It's not true. It's much too early for that. People don't get drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. No. What you see this morning was predicted centuries ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, says God, I will pour out my Spirit upon some flesh. All people. All people. Say that. All, all includes me. All right. Now, so the, then Peter begins to preach them about Jesus dying on the cross, rising from the dead. And let's skip all that, go down to verse 38, because now they want to know what must they do next. And he says, each of you must turn from your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Get put under water. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then you will receive, not might. So here Peter tells 5,000 people, you will all receive this gift of the Holy Spirit that you see in the 120 who came out of the upper room. And he says, this promise is to you, to your children. Even to the Gentiles, that means anybody who's not a Jew. And at that point, only Jews were standing there. The first 10 years of Christianity was only Jew, Jewish Christians. And even to the Gentiles. And then he says, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Everybody who is a believer in Jesus, this is a gift for you. This is a gift for you. Praise God. Amen. Now go to Acts chapter 5. You'll see the same experience here. In Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 8, beg your pardon. Verse 5. 
Acts chapter 8, verse 5. New Living Translation. So Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah Jesus. Crowds listened intently to what he had to say because of the miracles he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city of Samaria. All right, now go to verse 14. Then the apostles back in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message. They sent Peter and John there. Now notice this, it says they had accepted God's message. That means they believed the Word of God. So you are born again of incorruptible seed by the Word of God. Right? That's what happened here. Now, 16. Uh, so 15. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new Christians to receive the Holy Spirit. All right, so they were new Christians. The Bible says they were believers in Christ. They were new Christians. And John and Peter prayed for them to receive the Holy Spirit. We're going to see that right now. As they arrived, they prayed for the new Christians to receive the Holy Spirit. I've had folks come to me and say, you know, Apostle here, I've got the Holy Spirit. I got born again. I don't need to speak in tongues. I've got all the Holy Spirit there is to have. Well, if that was true, why did Peter and John leave Jerusalem, travel all the way to Samaria to pray for these Christians to receive the Holy Ghost? Why did he do that? Apostles, why? There is a second experience that God wants every believer to have. The first, the born-again experience. Second, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, verse 16. And the Holy Spirit had not yet come. Uh, the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had not been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. Say this, one can receive the Holy Spirit when another believer lays their hands on you. All right, now go to the third experience in Acts chapter 10, verse 44. So what's going on here? Now in Acts 10, verse 1, Cornelius is at home. He's a Roman centurion, a wonderful man of God, and... Suddenly, out of nowhere, an angel appears in his house with bright, shining clothes, like flashing lightning. He falls on the ground, and the angel says, get up. The angel says to him, Cornelius, God sent me to you because of your giving. You are a giver. Your giving for the work of God has come to heaven like a statue. So God sent me to you. That's in the Bible, by the way. Say this, giving opens a door for God's blessing. So the angel says, Cornelius, I want you to send for a man called Peter. He is down by the sea at Joppa. 
okay? And he's staying with a man called Simon. Go and find him because he'll come and tell you how to get saved. He'll tell you how to get saved. So why didn't the angel just tell him? He was right there. The angel could have said, this is what we have to do now for you to get saved, Cornelius. But he couldn't do it because he doesn't have the authority. Say so there's angels don't have the authority to preach the gospel, but I do. Okay, so, so then the angel uh, told him, then Cornelius sent for Peter. Peter came. So now while Peter's coming, Cornelius gets his family to come to his house, all his friends and his neighbors, they come to his house to hear what Peter has to say. Now Peter arrives and he begins to preach about Jesus to a great crowd of people at Cornelius' house. Let's pick up the story, Acts 10, 44. Watch what happens. Now even while Peter was preaching these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard Peter's message about Jesus. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift, say gift, of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. Thanks, guys. I'll, I'll, I'll be fine from here on. <laughs> I appreciate your enthusiasm. 46. And there could be no doubt about it, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. All right. So the Jewish Christians who heard, who came with Peter, were shocked because the Holy Spirit had been poured out on these people listening to Peter preach. And they couldn't doubt it because they were all speaking in tongues and magnifying God and praising God in their heavenly prayer languages. Now, there's a few very important things we want to point out here. Number one, clearly, this is a gift, right? It said so to everybody, just like salvation. Second thing is, Peter did not give the altar call. He did not say, now all of you want to accept Christ, put your hands up. <laughs> he didn't do that. He was still preaching. The Holy Ghost just interrupted his good sermon. <laughs> Bang, filled it with the Holy Ghost. So what happened? They all accepted Jesus because they were listening to Peter and they believed what he said. And the Holy Spirit said, I can't wait. Bang, <laughs> and filled him. Say this, the Holy Spirit wants to fill people more than people want to be filled. Can you see that? He's more enthusiastic about it. Peter could have said, hey, Holy Spirit, I haven't even finished my sermon yet. Not waiting for you, son. All right. And they all spoke in tongues. Now, here's the fourth and final example. Go to Acts 19. and verse 1, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. On this very important occasion, Pentecost Sunday, at least one of the best, most important, valuable three days of the Christian calendar. All right. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior provinces, finally came to Ephesus, where he found several believers. If you read on, it says 12. 
Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Paul asked them. Notice that they were believers. They were believers in Jesus. Paul did not tell them how to get saved. He just said, since you are a believer, have you received the Holy Spirit? So clearly, folks who think they've got all there is to get once they're saved, that's not the case. No, they replied. We don't know what you mean. We haven't heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience? He asked. They replied, the baptism of John. Now Paul explains, John's baptism was to demonstrate a desire to turn from sin and turn to God. John himself told the people to believe in Jesus, the one John said would come later. So what's that? There's a difference between John's baptism and our baptism today. John baptized people saying, listen, repent from your sin. Jesus is coming, one mightier than me. I'm a worthy to tie his shoelaces. Believe in him, follow him. John was the forerunner. And he baptized people to turn from sins and prepare their hearts to be ready for Jesus' arrival. Our baptism today is different. Our baptisms put people under water, saying that is symbolic of you dying with Christ and being buried with Jesus. Then when you come out the water, that's symbolic of you rising from the dead like Jesus did. But now the old man, the old Theo, is buried in the water and the new Theo in Christ arrives where Jesus lives his life out of me. All right? So it's different baptism. Our baptism is a demonstration, a witness of our willingness to follow Jesus all the way. Amen. So what happened? Verse 5. As soon as these 12 people heard this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus, Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. And they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. All 12. So we've got four different examples in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the example of or a history account of what happened in the early church. And we see here that in four different times, the Spirit of God came down on the believers. They all spoke in tongues. Now, there's something very important to notice about that first incident in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. That 120 people in that upper room who got filled with the Spirit and spoke in tongues, that was all the Christians there were. That's all the Christians there were. After three and a half years of ministry, there were only 120 believers in Jesus. And they were all in the upper room. That was the worldwide church at that time in that upper room. And that was the birth of the church that day. The church is born. So the birth of the church was that every believer spoke in tongues. Therefore, it's God's plan that every believer today around the world speaks in tongues. 
so that we can be endowed with power to be an example, a witness, and do signs and wonders in His name. Amen? Amen. Praise His wonderful name.